So the word with, W-I-T-H, is a very powerful word. It's what we call a preposition, uh, which means it's a bridging word that expresses the relationship between two uh, words or clauses. Uh, With is uh, what we call a tipping point word because it changes the relationship. It changes things because when you add the word with, there is a, a bond that is created. Things that were separate are brought together because with expresses togetherness. Think of it, we, we use this all the time in phrases like this. Oh, they, those people, they're with me. She's with child. Come play with us. It brings things together. And during the Christmas season, we have a name for Jesus that comes from the scripture that uses this word with to express togetherness in relationship with us. Scripture calls Jesus Emmanuel. It means God with us. This name fits because Jesus is how God uh, comes to be with us. Jesus is God revealing himself to us, not as some sort of far off intellectual concept, but get this, Jesus is actually the ultimate truth that undergirds all reality, embodied and living among us. Jesus is eternity in time, and he is nothing less than the ultimate truth that undergirds all reality, embodied and living among us. Really cool, deep stuff today in John 1. Let me show you uh, this important passage in John 1 where we see this in the New Testament. It's in a lot of places, but it's especially here in John 1, which is a passage we like to look at at Christmas. This is the Apostle John, and he packs a lot of meaning into a few words. So we're only gonna get through about uh, five verses today in John 1. It says this, jump in with me at John 1, starting at verse one. He says, in the beginning was the word, We'll talk about this word word in just a second. In the beginning was the word, and look at this, and the word was with God, that's our special word with, the word was with God, and the word was God. He, meaning the word was personal, he was in the beginning, special word again, with God. The word was with God. John says it twice, like don't miss this. Now let's back up and unpack this a little bit. Look at the first phrase in verse 1a. John says, in the beginning was the word. What John is doing here in this phrase is pretty radical. He's taking Jewish verbiage, that phrase, in the beginning, and he's putting with a Greek idea, the word, the logos, to illustrate the idea that Jesus actually lived with us in the flesh. Let me show you how he does this. So he starts out by saying three words at the very beginning there, in the beginning. This is exactly the opening line of the entire Bible in Genesis 1. It's the same exact kind of phrase there uh, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens and the earth is Jewish language for uh, everything, all things, the entire universe as we know it, and beyond all of that, all of creation. So at the very beginning in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John, John is purposely echoing that phrase in Genesis 
here in John 1. So if you were Jewish and you, you heard these words in John 1, in the beginning, your ears would instantly perk up and immediately you would think, ah, I know where John's going with this. But look at what the Apostle John does next with a little twist. He says, in the beginning was the word or the logos, L-O-G-O-S. He takes a Jewish phrase in the beginning and he adds this Greek idea, the word, the logos. You see, Greek philosophy of the day understood this, this idea of the word, the logos, L-O-G-O-S, understood it to be the impersonal principle of reason. It was an idea that gave order to the universe. And this was not a personal thing. It was impersonal because it was a philosophical concept. It was the impersonal idea that that the logos was the truth that undergirded and directed all of reality. So to the Greeks of the day, if you were to ask them who created the world, they would say the logos. Who made the seas and skies? The logos. Who's going to win the World Series? I don't know, but the logos will determine it. The logos determined everything for the Greeks, the, the non-Jews of the day. So everything was held together by this logos concept of reason that sort of gave order so a Greek would hear John 1 1 and their ears would perk up and they would say oh okay in the beginning was the logos I get it <laughs> but John adds more look at the next few phrases again here in uh, 1b through 2 and that second half of b there all the way through 2 uh, for some insight more insight uh, about this word it says and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning. Now, now we're getting to some new territory here. This word wasn't just in the presence of God, not just with God in the beginning, before time, before creation. And he wasn't just a personal he, as we see at the beginning of there, verse two. But the, he also adds this idea, John does, that the word actually was God. So what this means it's a pretty radical thing. I'm going to say this slowly because it's kind of a nerdy thing, but I'll say it twice so you understand. What John 1, 1 to 2 mean is not simply that the word was present before creation or in the presence of God or personal, but most importantly, that there exists between this word and this God at this point, a kind of ontological interactive reciprocity. <laughs> I know, I know, nerd alert. Um, don't worry, we'll explain it a little bit. Uh, the word ontology mostly means being or existence. So like it gets at the most fundamental being kind of thing. Uh, interactive just means having a relationship and reciprocity is a you know, plus and minus, keep the scales together kind of thing. So there's this kind of ontological interactive reciprocity between the word and between God, which is to say their very being and their essence are joined together in this reciprocal give and take kind of relationship where just like in any meaningful relationship, when you talk with one, you interact with one, you deal with one, you mess with one, you've talked with, you've interacted with, you've dealt with, and you've messed with the other. At the very essential stuff of being. It's like a, it's like a perfect team kind of thing, <laughs> but at a much more, oh, muchly, much, much more uh, deeper level than we can understand. Let me give you a few imperfect human examples that I thought of um, that sort of get at this. These are analogous, so it's not gonna be a one-for-one -one relationship with the depth of who God is, uh, but we experience this kind of thing in our own lives. It's sort of like when another kid uh, starts to bully your own kid, if you've ever felt any of that, right, as a parent, 
And if you're a mom, you're, you're like, I bore and I bred that kid. If you so much as touch that kid, I will cut you. <laughs> you laugh because you moms know that's true. <laughs> that's ontological interactive reciprocity between a mother and her child. Because when someone has messed with them, they've messed with you at sort of this deep, visceral, muchly, much, much more kind of way uh, that only moms know. It's sort of like when uh, one of your kids tries to get a different answer uh, from you um, than they got from your spouse, and you give the same exact answer as your spouse did, it's because you got some ontological reciprocity going on in your marriage, right? <laughs> like, I'll check a bow. <laughs> Speaking of marriage, <clears throat> it's a little like when... Uh, and when, when someone starts talking trash about me and my wife hears it, my wife is ready to take them down, <laughs> right? And then when somebody starts talking trash about my wife, my wife is ready to take them down. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, pathetic. So, to say that the word was with God and the word was God was like saying that God the Father and God the Son are a perfectly functioning and unified team, but at a deeper level, we don't experience, that we can't understand. They're an ontological interactive reciprocity, a team right down to the very essence of who they are. If you've seen the Son, You've seen the Father. That's what John's telling us here in John 1. If you've seen the Son, you have seen the Father. Who here has seen uh, Miracle on 34th Street? Any takers? Remember seeing that? Seen it? Good. All right. So um, in this movie, and today we'll watch a couple clips from the 94 version. Um, in this movie, the real Santa Claus, like he's real, he's flesh. If you've seen this guy, you've seen the real Santa. In this movie, the real Santa Claus ends up getting a job at a department store, and everything around him uh, gets better. Uh, profits go up, hope abounds, everybody believes, uh, people fall in love and they get married. Um, but little Susan Walker, little Susan Walker isn't buying it. She's not on the Santa is real bus because her mom doesn't actually believe in teaching her about all that fictional and mythical stuff that requires faith. So in this clip, uh, little and very, very proper um, Susan Elizabeth Walker, she meets Santa. And when Santa comes face to face with her, it begins this movie-long process of him proving his true identity to her. Um, and her mother... Uh, doesn't exactly come along. Um, he ends up giving uh, mom and Susan everything they could possibly have wanted uh, for Christmas at the end, but it takes the whole movie, and she does not come along. She's not buying it. Um, so in, in this clip, uh, you'll, you'll see Susie meet Santa, and then uh, mom talk about the response. Um, check it out. Hello, sir. Oh, how do you do? Would you like to come and sit on my knee? There we are. Now then, what's your name? Susan Elizabeth Walker. Mm -hmm. What's yours? Mine? 
<laughs> well, I have uh, lots of names. Uh, Chris Kringle, Santa Claus, Father Christmas, or Nicholas. If you were in Holland, I'd be Santa Claus. Or in Italy, La Befana. I have to speak many languages because, of course, I travel, as you know, a great deal. Suresh, Gift, Von, Christophon. That's Russian. And Sikulu, Alger, Ya, Noeli. That's Swahili. My mother's Mrs. Walker. She's director of special events for Coles. Uh-huh. She runs a parade. Oh. I know how this all works. You're an employee of Coles. That is true. But you're a very good Santa Claus. Thank you. Your beard's stuck on real tight. <laughs> Usually the store Santa Claus whiskers are too loose. Right. Yours look realistic. That's because they are real. You give them a tug. <laughs> Are you convinced? <laughs> Good. This isn't the regular Santa suit, is it? Oh, no. This is the real Santa suit. It's very nice. Mm, I agree. It's lovely. Gold buttons, gold thread. It's as real as me. Will you ask your daddy if I'm real? I don't know where he is. Well, he's, uh... That's my friend. Mr. Bedford, I don't have a dad anymore. Oh. <laughs> well, now, what can I get you for Christmas? Nothing, thank you. Nothing? My mother buys my gifts. If I don't want something too stupid or dangerous or... Hi, Mom. Morning, Mrs. Walker. Hi, it's nice to see you again. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Susan, I think you've taken enough of this man's time. There's a very long line of customers, and they do come first. Nice to meet you, Susan. Nice to meet you, too. Bye-bye. Non-believers. Right. If I felt that it was important for her to see Santa Claus, I would be more than happy to take I didn't see any harm in her saying hello to an interesting old man. Well, there is harm. I tell her that there is no Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. So you bring her down here and she sees thousands of gullible kids and she meets an actor, a very good actor, mind you, with a real beard and a beautiful Santa suit sitting smack dab in the center of a child's fantasy world. So, who does she believe? The myth or the mom? You think I'm a fraud, don't you? I think fraud is a bit too strong of a word. But you don't believe in me. I believe that Christmas is for children. Well, your daughter doesn't believe in me either. I don't think that there's any harm in not believing in a figure that many do acknowledge to be a fiction. Oh, but there is. I'm not just a whimsical figure who uh, wears a charming suit and affects a jolly demeanor. You know, I, I, I'm a symbol. 
I'm a symbol of the human ability to be able to suppress the selfish and hateful tendencies that rule the major part of our lives. If you can't believe, if you can't accept anything on faith, then you're doomed for a life dominated by doubt. I like you very much, Mrs. Mrs. Walker. You're a fine woman, and you know, I think you'll make an excellent test case for me, you and your daughter. If I could make you believe, then there'd be some hope for me. If I can't, well, I'm finished. Obviously not here today to celebrate Santa, <laughs> or even the symbol of Santa, as he says. Um, but we're here to recognize something actually more unexpected, frankly, than Santa being real. Which is to say, the truth that God Himself has actually been revealed to us in the person of Jesus. Like in Jesus, God has come face to face with us. Look at this in John 1, starting at verse 14. John picks up this theme of Jesus being God face to face with us. He says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word came as human flesh and dwelt, lived among us. Now this word dwelt that he uses here has some cool history in the Bible. In Exodus 25, in verses eight and nine, the people of God were commanded they were commanded there to uh, make a tent, a tabernacle, so that they could meet with God. And it says in verse 8 and 9, it says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God speaking to them. And then it says this, Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. Now, the Hebrew noun that's used here in verse 9 of Exodus 25, that Hebrew noun for tabernacle or tent, was turned into um, a Greek verb here by the Apostle John in, uh, in verse 14 of chapter one. This was a way to say that God tented with us. And this wasn't just meant to apply, imply some sort of temporary dwelling. It was a way to say that God came to earth to live with us. So for example, if, if you were a Bible translator and you went to a new tribe and they didn't have a Bible and you were trying to get this phrase in John 1:14 just right, you would want to translate this, this phrase by saying something like, when Jesus came, God was, in effect, building a house in our village. You gotta understand what a radical idea this is. The idea that the creator, God, has anything to do personally with humanity was no less a crazy idea in its day than it seems to us today. If you had asked one of the Greeks in John's day, hey, you know the logos, the logos who brings order to our world, that impersonal force of reason that orders reality, do you know him personally? They would have laughed at you because the concept wouldn't have even made sense. And for the Jews who very keenly understood 
God's holiness because they themselves were set apart. He had called them to be set apart from the other nations. They were to stay away from anything unholy. The the Jews themselves understood this, this idea of God's holiness. So the idea that God would come to earth as a human in the flesh to take on the the plights and the sufferings of this world, to experience the brokenness of this world. That not only would sound impossible, but like outright heresy. It was blasphemous to suggest that. It would have lessened who God was to think of him in that way. But the apostle John, who was an eyewitness to Jesus, tells us here in John 1 that this God was entirely different than our expectations because he came to be with us, to be face to face with us, to communicate with us personally, no differently than I am with you right now. Look again at verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Meaning when you've seen Jesus, You've seen the glory of God. You've seen the face of God. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, the kind of glory that could only come from someone who had that ontological interactive reciprocity, right? Only come from God the Son. And he is full of grace and truth. To summarize, in Jesus, we have God being faithful to keep his promise to save. Jump down to verse four, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18. No one has ever seen God before now, but the only God, the only begotten Son of God, who is at the Father's side, who has all the authority of the Father, he, meaning the Son, has made him known. When you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. Friends, the coming of Jesus is the fullness of God's provision for us. God communicating with us in the flesh. There's a wonderful little scene uh, in Miracle on 34th Street where Santa sort of gives us a picture of uh, the unexpected wonder and beauty of, of the incarnation of Jesus. That's a picture of it. It's not the same thing, but it's like it. Uh, as many of you may already know, Santa has to speak many languages because uh, he has to travel all over the world. So when, uh, when a little girl who is deaf uh, comes to see him, um, we see a picture of, of what it's like uh, for God to communicate with us. Check this out. Hello, little one. How are you? Uh, Come. Well. Uh, she's deaf. You don't have to talk to her. She just wanted to see you. You are a very beautiful young lady. (laughs) What's your name? Sammy. That's a beautiful name. (laughs) Now, I tell you what. Do you know Jingle Bell? 
jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Darling, what would you like for Christmas? A doll and a bear? Well, you shall have them. Sammy, I wish you a Merry Christmas. Friends, despite the fact that, uh, as Scripture says, our hearts were in sinful rebellion against the perfect and innocent God who created us. And despite the fact that we deserved the full weight of his just wrath against our sin, he, he came to us in the person of Jesus to communicate with you because he loves you and he wants relationship with you. And he has provided Jesus as the perfect and sinless life and sacrifice for you. Friends, in Jesus, God with us can become God with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you for accounting for us in ways that go far beyond our understanding and obviously our ability. We love you because you have made yourself known to us in the person of Jesus. You have been all sufficient uh, when we were undeserving. You have been full provision for us. When the way we've provided for ourselves has demonstrated we haven't a clue how to fix the problems of our own lives and our sin. So Father, thank you for accounting for us in the person of Jesus. In this season where um, it's easy to be uh, distracted by so many things, we ask that uh, Father, you would speak to us, that you would speak to hearts that you would continue to make yourself known and that we would have soft hearts to hear from you, uh, to receive you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.